<laughs> Amen. Good morning. No, I'm not Tom Brown in disguise wearing a beard. Um, I bring you greetings from our in-town community in North River. <laughs> My wife, Vivian, and I helped to lead the in-town community here. And uh, I understand the decision was made not to have that graphic too early on the screen, because <laughs> we're telling people not to go to church. Well, that probably needs a little bit of uh, explanation. Uh, oh, I see Tyler Cervetti here. Hey, Tyler. See ya. Um, Tyler is an old buddy of mine from Florida. Uh, and our in-town community vision, uh, we, want to, we want to be people who don't just go to church, but who, have, who are the church, who help make an impact. See, as disciples of Jesus, our vision is to reflect God's glory. We want to make disciples. We want to announce to the world the good news that God has provided a way back to him. And then to help guide them uh, to trust and follow Jesus. And that takes sharing in our homes, in our communities, and for us in in-town in the city of Atlanta. See, God's highest calling for us is not to go to church, to be church attenders or even small group attenders. He wants to conform us to the image of his son, uh, to bring light to a dark world. Now, my wife and I have been moving to Georgia for the, about the last two and a half years. Um, we, you know, we finally sold our house in Florida in October. It took, it, you know, it took a little while. And we are actually now have a house that's kind of located close to in town. I mean, we're, we're outside the perimeter, but I mean, we can walk to the perimeter. We're that, we're that close to the, to the, to the loop. Um, and it's, it's, uh, we're, we're slowly moving things in. We've got a guest bedroom set up, which is where we're sleeping, and the kitchen. Our, our pod with stuff from Florida is actually coming next Saturday, you know, so if anyone's available to help move, we got, we got a pod coming in. And it was very nice because uh, 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 our friends Bolahan and Tochi came over yesterday and helped us build a garage shelving so we can put stuff away. And, you know, that's nice. It's always good to find an engaged couple that needs to work on things like learning how to put garage shelving together. Um, but it takes a, you know, settling in, settling in takes a while and all of that. But God wants us, you know, to feel settled in and at home with him as part of his family. And to make church not a place that we, a destination to which we go, like we might go to our home or go to the movies. Church is supposed to be an identity. It's who we are when we are like Christ. It's who we are when we worship God together. When we are not 
conformed to this age, conformed to the world. By the way, that's a different, the, the Greek has different words for the word conform. In, but in Romans 8, 29, he's talking about being conformed, being more like this individual Whereas in Romans 12, conformed is more talking about, you know, don't adopt the ways or the way the world, this age, does things. Adopt a different way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Undergo a metamorphosis like a butterfly would undergo a metamorphosis and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are supposed to be conformed to the image of Jesus, not conformed to the patterns of the world. And the whole purpose of this is so that the Gentiles, all of us, may glorify God for his mercy. We're called to be transformed to glorify God. And that's a, that's a little bit of a big concept. Because, you know, what's at stake in Romans, what's going on in the book of Romans is because of sin, no one, no one, Jew, Gentile, uh, the whole world, no one could earn a right standing before God. The, and the, the next few chapters of Romans had to explain it's only by the basis of unmerited favor through faith, not works of the law, that we're justified before God. And so those who wanted to make it uh, based on the law, based on what we do, based on uh, the status and, and who you are and how you go about doing things, we're trying to make a case for uh, your standing before God is based on being justified through the works of the law. And Paul is saying no. It's uh, on unmerited favor. It's on faith. It's on um, getting to know God, come becoming humble before him, and conforming to the image of his son, submitting yourself to him, through which you are saved, through which you get to know God, through how you come to God. Now, that's a difficult and not a simple concept, and many people have wrestled with that one through the years as to how, you know, how is it that we put our focus on God first and, uh, and not on us? And it takes a while um, to work through and get there. And I understand about processes that take a while to work through and get there. Um, recently, uh, on June, June 9th, my father passed away. He was 93. And it was a tough time for me. I, I went through a period of, uh, I, I reacted with depression. I didn't know how to share and talk about my feelings. I had to help arrange a funeral. So when my son said that he was doing a, a, a trip around the world, I made arrangements to go meet him in New Zealand. And we did some fun activities together. It was a chance for me to clear my head, 
uh, to talk through with him, to actually spend some time with him, um, and to do some activities that I shouldn't have been doing because I was acting younger than my age. Well, one of the things that we did, I mean, amidst skydiving for the first time, which was interesting, uh, we went skiing, you know, which I knew how to do, and I love skiing. And of course, on the last day, I went to the terrain park, took on one of these little guys. You see that just like, you know, it was like one of those little jump type things. And, you know, I just kind of jumped up there and did what this little girl is doing, turned sideways on the thing. Well, those things are slippery. My skis went out from under me at lightning speed, and I landed right on this bone uh, with all my weight on ice. And when I tried to stand up, I couldn't. And that was enough to uh, shatter the, uh, to put a crack through the leg bone. And they had to take me, they had to take me down the rest of the slope in one of those sleds and by, to, to the local hospital by uh, ambulance where they did an x-ray and I was expecting, you know, okay, I'd get some aspirin and go home that night. But they're like, nope, your leg's broken. We have to transfer you to Christchurch Hospital uh, in New Zealand. So that was another ambulance ride. Uh, and a real disappointment for me because I had to face the loss of my vacation. <laughs> We're supposed to go ziplining the next day. This isn't what I wanted to do. It wasn't where I wanted to be. And so I had to decide what was I going to do with my time in the hospital. Was it going to be, woe is me, and the loss of my vacation, or was it going to be, how can I think about God's purposes? How can I think about what I would do to be conformed to his image? And I got to say, you know, my wife was wonderful through this time because she was on Facebook. She was on, you know, the phone. She got a hold of folks. Uh, Douglas Jacoby saw the Facebook post. He got a hold of folk that he knew. And I had a couple of people come visit me. You know, Scott and Anna Cushman from the Auckland Church and their son Koopa were on vacation in Christ Church, New Zealand. And they got the message and they came and stopped by the hospital to come visit. Uh, Tony and Michelle Balland, uh, who were at a local church there in New Douglas, got the word and they came by the hospital to come visit. I didn't feel lonely, but it made those visits had a huge impact on the other people who were in the room with me. Because they asked, okay, well, who are all these folks? Is this all your family? And I said, no. You know, these are part of members of a network of churches who heard that I had broken my leg in New Zealand and was far from home, and my wife was saying, you know, he doesn't have friends or family around. Please go visit. And they came and visited. And people took notice. Uh, there was a fellow across from, from me named Johnny who had a 
come from a very rough background. When he was young, uh, a friend, I, I guess a, a friend's sister had been molested, and he went and shot the guy in the face, and they put him in jail for, for a time. And so what he was doing to make ends meet is he was doing some auto mechanic work on the side for friends, because it's hard to get a job when you have a, you know, a, a felony conviction on your record. So he, he was out, you know, he was out uh, fixing motorcycles and, and cars for people, and a motorcycle that he had fixed for his son, he took it on a test drive, hit some gravel, and blew out his knee and leg. You know, so he was in great pain and uh, in recovery there. But when Tony and I went to one of the other recovering, uh, recovering patients, and we're talking a little bit about, you know, about the existence of God and, you know, why God is the best, best explanation for the way things are in life and the way the world is. This guy, Johnny, was upset. And he's like, stop talking about God. Uh, or he added the word G to everything. So stop talking about God G. And out of respect, you know, we stopped. Then as I got to know him a little bit more, he'd been upset at how the other guys in the room had condescended towards him and his friends when his friends had come over. But just praying to God, treating him with a little respect, talking to him, hearing his story, uh, relating Sharing, sharing with him that I had a friend who grew up with a mafia-like rough background. Um, he opened up. You know, at the, at the end, we were able to invite him to come to church. But that couldn't have been done without the way the church works together. With how God transforms people's lives and makes them want to do things like stop by on their vacation to visit somebody who is sick in hospital. It has, it has an impact, and it had an impact on me. The focus, the refocus on God, I think lifted me out from a time of depression. Uh, took me to a different state and frame of mind where I was trying to think for how can we turn, how can you turn a bad situation or a situation that's unfavorable towards one that focuses on God and his purpose. They wrestled with this in 1647 and asked, what is the chief end of man? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was the Church of England and the Church of Scotland, came up with the answer to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But what have we done with this kind of thinking today. Um, the Gentiles, Romans 15, we're all to live to glorify God. But what kind of God do we think about and want today? Sometimes we want to glorify God if we get a God who glorifies man a vending machine God, a God to whom we can pray for things to go well, and then they have to go well. So when I break a leg skiing, 
you know, God must be against me. When things don't go well in my life, or I'm not doing well financially, or I'm going through a rough time, then God maybe is not with me. But that's not the kind of God that we see in the Bible. Now we have to ask a further question. What is the chief end of God? Interestingly enough, the chief end of God is to glorify God and enjoy his glory forever. I will act for my own sake, for my glory. I have let you live for this purpose, Pharaoh, to show you my power and to make my name known in all the earth. Jesus, Father, glorify your name. The glory belongs to God. Who's the most God-centered being in the universe? Answer, God is. Who is uppermost in God's affections? Answer, God. Does that make God an idolater? No, because he does not worship anything above God. He's righteous and holy. He puts his value on that which is infinitely valuable. And there is only one thing that is infinitely valuable. God. God is the only being for whom the most loving act is self-exaltation. By contrast, or by conclusion, loving God is the only way to true contentment. See, God's chief desire is to be known, to be loved, to be trusted, to be cherished, and obeyed above every value in the universe, no matter what your culture. But nobody gives this kind of devotion to him, period, because of sin. Hence our problem. So what do we do? Psalm 92 says, the righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age, healthy and green, to declare the Lord is just, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. What does the word flourish mean? It's not a commonly used word. You don't typically say, you look like you have flourished today. Except in gardening, maybe. But it means thriving, growing. There's a spiritual growth. Health. It's stable. It's pleasing to be around. There's strength. There's fruit. Cedars were known for their durability. Solomon built the Lord's temple out of cedar. The wood is good for years in construction. It smells nice. The palm represents being triumphant in victory. It was used as an, you know, it was, it was uh, used uh, in, when Jesus walked into Jerusalem. They waved palm branches to represent his triumph and his kingship. But we don't all flourish all the time, do we? I wasn't flourishing when my dad passed away. Life has its events, its tragedies, its times of mental hardship. 
uh, deep psychological challenges. You know, some of you today may be feeling that instead of doing well spiritually, you're spiritually dry or stagnant. You know, we were out with Ed and Janice Yeomans the other night for dinner at Ruby Tuesday. Uh, Ed and Janice are so good at reaching out to people, they invited our, our waiter, Leslie, and I asked him, I said, Leslie, are you, you know, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, I need to go to church. And so for some people, you know, they realize there's a disconnect from God. And so sometimes there's a feeling, I need to go to church. But we're supposed to be the church. You know, some people would say, instead of having close friends, I feel disconnected relationally. Instead of having deep and meaningful conversations, my conversations with friends go to a shallow depth. Judas Iscariot probably understood that. He was one of the 12 apostles, and yet people didn't know what was going on in his life and heart. Some of you might say, instead of having a great marriage, my marriage is not a blessing right now. Or you might be struggling with too much social media addiction, too much television. I'm, my wife tells me I got to watch that one. Pornography. Perhaps an excess of video gaming. That's becoming a huge cultural problem. But Jeremiah 17 says, the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed in the Lord is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when he, and its foliage remain green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. When did Jeremiah write, write that? He wrote that at a time when Babylon was bearing down on Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel had already been taken into captivity by, captivity by Assyria, and Jeremiah, judgment against Judah had been pronounced by the Lord, and Jeremiah was preaching a message of repentance and warning, but also one of hope. It wasn't a great time in the lives of those in Judah and Jerusalem, but Jeremiah still preached a message of hope. The man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence in the Lord is blessed. It's those who are planted, though, in both of these passages, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will grow, not those who just attend. Not just those who go to church, who go to family group, but who get planted. Point zero. God is the center. Point number one, those who are planted will flourish. The redwood sequoia trees in uh, California, uh, some of the tallest trees on the planet, their roots go down six to 12 feet. They grow to a height of 350 feet. 
They weigh 500 tons. They live for centuries. They rarely fall over despite winds, earthquakes, fires, storms, and flooding. How do they do it? Underneath the surface, their roots are intertwined and connected. In fact, only redwood trees are the types of trees whose root system can support other redwood trees. See, as our church prepares to move to communities, it's a great time to ask one another, are you flourishing? Are you planted? See, this is what we need in the body of Christ. We need each other. It's easy to think that your contribution does not matter. But you see our animals, our pets, our social media, our televisions are not going to do it for us. We need human contact. Vivian and I, we need the Casazas in our life. Jim and Lisa Casaza. Um, we pop over to their house many times. They come over to ours. We try to go over to their house around dinner time. <laughs> Lisa loves to cook. We love to participate in Lisa's cooking. It's a wonderful match. <laughs> See, Jesus knew this need that we had. He conceived of our life as a seed. He said that in his parable of the sower. A planted seed has potential. It has the potential to grow, to blossom, to produce fruit, to multiply. But a seed that is not planted also has potential. The potential to lie dormant, the potential to stagnate, to disintegrate, the potential to be snatched up and eaten by the enemy. Jesus said, consider the sower. Let your seed get planted, but not on rocky ground where the roots won't grow deep and the troubles of life and the winds and the storms, which we all get, whether we're planted or not, but those storms will, snap, will knock you right over if you're not firmly planted. He said, not among the thorns where the worries and concerns and issues of life will choke your faith. But he's like, find the good soil where your seed can deepen and grow and produce roots. And those roots can interconnect one with another. And the fruit that comes from that will be 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. You see, attendance at church and family group is not the same as being planted. You won't flourish. The communities will not grow unless the friendships are deep and the participation is high. You see, church, the word church is ekklesia in the Greek. It means the assembly, God's people set apart, set apart for his purposes, not man's purposes. Church isn't a destination where you go. It's an identity you become when you are planted and when you are glorifying God together. Point three, when you are planted, you will produce fruit even into old age. 
You see, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control, the kind of things that overwhelm people in hospital rooms, that overwhelm people in prisons when they see it lived out and acted out. God can use you. He can use your gifts to show his mercy to the world if you will let him. In conclusion today, I ask you, please, get planted. Please let your roots grow deep and wide and interconnect. Join a family group or lead one. They work best when they're small. You can't connect like a redwood with dozens of people, but you can connect with one or two and be vulnerable and open with one or two. Find at least one person to connect with emotionally. That is so hard for me to learn vulnerability and emotion. And yet, I've got a couple of people. I'm practicing doing that. Practice walking life together, doing life together. Talk about everything. Ask someone here to go out to lunch, perhaps the person who invited you today, or someone you don't know well, and ask them about how they came to faith and why they came to faith. Tell them your story. Tell them what you are going through and experience in life. Help someone build their garage shelf. Visit someone in the hospital. Please keep producing fruit, even into your old age. God wants you to flourish like the redwood, the cedar, the palm, so that once planted, you must mature. And a seed requires five things to mature. What is that? Good soil, that's your heart. Light, God's word is a lamp. Water, Jesus is the living water. The temperature, the fire of the Holy Spirit that burns with us. And time, when is the best time to plant a tree? The answer, 20 years ago. When is the next best time? Today. When's the best time to realize that God at great cost to his son, frees you to enjoy making much of him forever? Answer 20 years ago. When is the next best time? Now. Please don't conform to the pattern of this world and just go to church. Be the church. It's not a destination to attend. It's who you are when you were serving God together. Don't conform, be transformed. (laughs) Father, we come before you in prayer as we prepare to take communion, as we prepare to remember that Jesus, at great cost, gave his blood and his body and his life for us, for your glory so that we could live also for your glory. Thank you, Father, for putting you first and not us. Help us to put you first in our lives and show your mercy to the world through the fruit of the Spirit, through our kindness, through our love, through our being planted and connected and deeply rooted. Father, help us to help each other and help us to learn that you are the best answer for the way things are in this world. You are the answer 
why people change uh, and conform. Thank you, Father, for trusting us with your son, for giving us this great gift, for fixing our problem with sin, and helping us to come to you. Thank you for your grace. Help us at this time today uh, to remember you, to remember those in need, and to reflect on how much you have changed our lives and can change it and will continue to change us. We thank you, Father. We lay our problems and concerns before you, and we trust you to have our best interest. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.